Oh, God's good. All the time. So, um, I'm going to be reading in just a moment from John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. You want to find your Bible or New Testament and look at the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. Uh, Perhaps some very familiar verses to you uh, that I can't read enough. Uh, They are very, very important verses to me. And we'll be taking a look at that together in just a moment. Um, It's been a little over 31 years since uh, I stood at an altar and spoke vows to Sherry. And uh, I've been reflecting on that lately. Uh, On our wedding uh, occasion, I uh, recall that um, there was a gathering of a congregation in the house, and uh, there was some really special worship music that began to be played and sung uh, that Sherry and I had selected. They were songs that were very important to us and our expression of how we love the Lord and wanted to worship the Lord in our wedding. And uh, I was uh, kind of off to the side of the auditorium in a little hallway where no one could see me and uh, the minister and my best man. And at a certain cue... Uh, everyone stood and Sherry began to come down the aisle with her dad. And uh, as we engaged in that tradition uh, that maybe a lot of you have, I had not seen her all day. And she had been hidden away uh, being prepared, right? You know, the hair and the makeup and the gown and all this kind of thing. Uh, and so when the, the music that cued all that up uh, began, I came out with the minister and best man, and I'm, you know, dead center on the aisle, and I'm watching Sherry come down the aisle to me uh, to be presented to me by her dad. It was a really special moment that some of you have had also. And that day marked us in a defining kind of way. Now, let me be more clear. We didn't meet each other that day. We had known each other for some period of time. In fact, uh, we had uh, dated and courted for about five years, and the last two of that we'd been engaged. And so we had had a lot of relational experience with one another and and a lot of uh, learning how to trust each other and how to communicate with each other and how to love one another and kind of laying a foundation for what a marriage for the rest of our lives might look like. So a lot of relational experience and activity had taken place before this wedding day. But that wedding day became this like marker that sent us off on a journey of knowing each other and being with each other and doing life with each other that was at a whole new level, a whole new dimension. Because there was a uh, a different kind of commitment and covenant that was being experienced on, the, on, on this side of marriage that we didn't have on the other side of marriage. And I say all that to say this. That is a lot like what the Bible describes our relationship with Jesus to be like. And when I say our relationship, I'm, I'm speaking about us collectively and the collection of believers the Bible calls church. And the Bible also goes on to talk about 
the followers of Christ, the people of God, the church as being the bride of Christ. Now, that's not new to the New Testament. That, that was also part of the way in the Old Testament that the prophets spoke of the people of God related to God. Isaiah 54, verse 5, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. And so that metaphor of highly committed, covenantal, intimate relationship with God, as we have with a spouse in this world, that kind of metaphor has always been there, describing a relationship that people can have with the Lord God. When we get into the New Testament, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11:2 this way, he said, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. In other words, part of the work of ministry, part of the work of the church is to prepare us for a day that is to come that's like a wedding day. It's referred to in the Bible as a consummation day. And just as Sherry went through uh, a number of things to prepare to come down an aisle to meet me at a point of uh, speaking vows, so we are in a state of preparation that is way more substantial than hair and makeup and things like that. It's all internal. It's character. It's virtue. It's uh, taking on the life of Christ before we spend all eternity with him. Revelation 19, verse 7 says it this way. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb. That's Jesus, our sacrificial, atoning, reconciling agent in our lives. The wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Of course, John, the revelator, is seeing something that's happening in the future and describing that day of consummation when the church will be collected up and gathered up. And will be presented to Christ. Sanctified, made holy, lives built like Christ. A series of talks that we've done for the past eight weeks has been about that process of life building, life sanctification, life development, so that we better know how to cooperate with him and be ready for that day of consummation. Now, that's where I want us to get into the the text that we're reading today. So if you'll look in John chapter 14, because uh, it's been my experience when we start talking about the end times, when we start talking about life being over as we know it, when we start talking about the, the coming again of Christ and life as we know it transcending and moving into a different kind of state, some of us get a little nervous about that. Some of us get a little fretful. Uh, some of us get uh, anxious. And here's what Jesus had to say about all this in verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't get indigestion. Don't get all upset. Don't uh, start wringing your hands over in the corner. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And uh, if you're like one of the disciples in the next verse, he says, I don't know the way. What's the way? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. So he says, don't worry about it. Don't get all troubled and anxious about it. Just trust me. Trust Jesus. Now, how do you go about trusting Jesus? How do you go about trusting anybody? There's no one on this planet that you just give blind trust to. Trust is always something that is developed. It's always something that is grown. It's something that happens over time with certain kinds of experiences demonstrating trustworthiness, right? And so uh, we've been talking for these weeks uh, about who is God, what is salvation, Uh, How do we go about trusting him and building a life with him? Your small groups have continued that conversation every week. Uh, We've exposed you to some materials and a tool that uh, should be able to help you cooperate with God in ways that ready your life and sanctify and develop your life. But let's back up a little bit from that kind of microscopic look and let's have a little more telescopic look view of it all. As you recall, there is this reality that uh, the scriptures refer to as eternity. Eternity has no beginning. It has no end. It always has been. And somewhere and somehow in the course of eternity, God decided to create Now, that was a defining moment. That was a moment that created not just this universe and this world and people and plants and animals and all that kind of stuff, but it also created this phenomenon that we refer to as time. And so on the entire scale, the the continuum of eternity, there is this little parenthetical block in all of eternity called time. It began with creation, and it will end with consummation. And in between those two parentheses live you and me, all the people that have preceded us, and the people that will follow us until consummation. And so we could take a dot and put your life somewhere on there, and right at the heart of it all would be the cross. Right in the middle of it all, Jesus came to fulfill the eternal purpose of God, which was to redeem and reconcile and bring us into relationship with God. And so the question before the house today is this, has that happened for you? Because that is what the purpose of time in all of eternity is. God created this world, universe, everything that's in it, and time so that you and I would have the opportunity to meet him, know him, begin to build relationship with him, and someday have that consummated so that we spend all eternity, eternity future 
with him. And so you literally could draw a dot somewhere on that continuum in time as to where you entered life and this world. And if you were to draw that dot, everything in that dot would represent what happens for you and in you and through you and around you in time. The Bible says that dot for most of us will be around 70 years. Obviously, some people die before that. Some people live much longer than that. 70, 80, 90, who knows how many years God might give us. And all of it happens in that dot. But if you'll notice on the screen, there's a long line that goes out from that dot. And here's the point. Most, overwhelmingly, most of life happens after death. You see, you were born, you began to have this little life in this little dot, in this little sphere called time. It goes 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever. But when you draw your last breath and you die, then you begin to live forever in another state, in another way. Throughout eternity, forever. Now, the teachings of Jesus show what happens inside the dot determines everything that happens on the line. The decisions you make, the behaviors that you display, the activities you engage in, everything that happens in the dot absolutely and totally impacts the line that goes for all eternity. So I cannot overstate the importance of the dot. Because everything that happens in the dot shapes what happens throughout all eternity. Let me unpack it this way, with the notion that most of life happens after death. So as you know, you begin to have life. And it begins before mom and dad conceive. It begins with God. Jeremiah chapter 1 tells us he knows us before we're conceived. He has plans for us before we're conceived. And so when that point comes that... You know, air actually comes into our lungs and we come to life and we're outside of our mother's womb and we begin to conduct ourselves in this world. That happens for some period of time, 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever years, and then we die. But that death is only physical. Because, you see, we're not only a body, we're also spirit. We are a soul that has a body with which we live in this physical world, and we are a soul that also has a spirit with which we live in a spirit world, both today and forever. So when the body dies, the house that I have in this world no longer serves a purpose, doesn't function anymore. But I continue to live. And what the Bible tells us at that point is that we end up at a destination. So, if I were to die today, and by the way, if that were to happen, I'd be totally cool with that, okay? I, I really, absolutely, truly look forward to the day that I die. 
If that happened today, then I would go to a destination that has already been determined. You say, who determined it? Well, God and me. Because it has to do with whether I became a believer in Christ. He offered me the opportunity to have eternal life with him. I made a choice that I would accept his offer and know life in Jesus. And so when I die, I immediately go to be with Christ. The scriptures say to be absent from the body when you die is to be present with the Lord. So if I were to keel over right now and die... Boom, I'm immediately in the presence of Jesus. To be absent from the body, my soul to leave this body, is to be in his presence. That's already determined. Because I have already become a follower of Jesus. Now, what about the person that has not become a follower of Jesus? Destination already determined. If uh, someone standing right next to me who is not in Christ, is not a Christ follower, didn't care about the things of God, etc., And they die right now. They go to a destination that is separated from God. Destination is determined before death. You cannot do anything about destination after death. That's why what happens in the dot is so important. And then in the fourth place, we have a resurrection. So if I were to die today... Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'm with Jesus immediately. But consummation hasn't happened yet. He hasn't brought the end of time. He hasn't returned in the second coming yet. And so uh, I'm in some intermediate state that is not clear. There's a lot of theories out there that I'm not going to spend any time on whatsoever today. But when he returns and he consummates all that creation began... The Bible says that I and every other person will at that point resurrect. Every other person that's been dead. And we will receive a resurrection body. We will not be floaty, ghosty type things that, you know, are uh, ill-defined. We will have some kind of resurrection body. So that we are known and able to know. One another. That's whether we're in Christ or outside of Christ. We all are resurrected. At that point, there is a a time of determining repayment. We receive rewards or we receive retribution based upon what you did on earth. Now, this isn't a matter of your destination, that was determined with your belief. This is a matter of behaviors and deeds. What you did or did not do has ultimate eternal outcomes. So that if I I am in Christ and I have served him and sacrificed for him and become a giving and generous and and, um, uh, self-denying kind of individual like he has called us to be, he says there's all kinds of rewards that come with that. And so on the repayment day, when you are at the time of judgment and these things are being determined, reward, 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 reward. On the other hand, if I have been outside of Christ and I have chosen not to follow him and to bank and bet my life on him and I've done it my way, then on that day, 
My destination is already determined. I'm going to be away from him forever in a resurrected body and experiencing retribution for all the deeds that I did. I, I will get payment for the things that I did at that point. Which leads me to say in the sixth place, eternity, what I have just described then is how it is forever and ever and ever and ever without end. I am either forever in his presence or forever absent from his presence. And of course, the Bible has tags for that, calls it heaven, calls it hell. A lot happens after we die. Everything that happens in the dot determines everything that happens on the line. We must live today well. Now, I'll take you back to John 14. Jesus said, now, don't worry about that. If you follow me, if you do life with me, if you trust me, I got your back. I'm going to show you how to do the life. I'm going to bring power so that it works in you well. I'm going to guide you with steps. I'm going to show you the way. I am the way. Just follow me. And so if you're in me, don't worry about it. Because he was talking to his disciples that day. Now, if he wasn't talking to his disciples, if he had been talking to somebody else that had not become a follower, he said, I'd worry about it. That's a whole other scenario. Bruce Wilkerson puts it this way. Your choices on earth have direct consequences on your life in eternity. Got it? Do I need to repeat all that all over again? Got it? Good. All right. So, and I'm, I'm headed toward wrapping this up. There is a story in the New Testament talking about the Apostle Paul in his travels where he ends up in the city of Corinth. Corinth, a big city in Greece. And while he's there, he's doing what he does in every other city. He preaches the gospel. He tries to encourage people to follow Jesus. He's building and starting churches. And along the way, he gets in trouble with the law. They don't like his preaching. They don't like what he's teaching. And they try to shut him up by arresting him. And so he comes before a trial. And uh, this trial happens before a magistrate who sits on a chair, a judgment seat. And the Greek word for that is bima. And so Paul is at the, the bima, in, uh, uh, as it's described in the book of Corinthians, and uh, the magistrate there is beginning to hear the charges and hear the evidence and so on. He totally dismisses it. There's, there's no evidence here. The man is not guilty. Let him go. And you'd think, well, that, that was just kind of a blip on the screen of uh, Paul's radar. Maybe no big deal. But what you find out is sometime later when Paul ends up writing letters to this church in Corinth, he makes reference to that whole scenario. He talks about how that Bema seat is not just a place of authority and justice where legal decisions are made, but it's also a place of reward. It, uh, it's the same word that's used in the Olympics at the judging stand when they are determining who the champion is and giving the reward for you know, winning whatever event. And so he uses that word, and in 2 Corinthians 5.10, as he's writing this letter, he tells them, 
There's going to be a time. We must all appear before the judgment seat, before the Bema. The Bema of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. Whether good or bad. Now, this is a a theme that so stayed with Paul two years later when he writes a letter to the church that's in Rome. He says in Romans 14.10, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We'll all stand before God's bema. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now note that phrase, give an account. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, Paul paints a picture about that in some more of his writing to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he describes that given account uh, this way. He uses a metaphor. And it just happens to be a metaphor of building. But there is going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Let me just go ahead and pause there to make sure you're with me. We're all life builders. We're all building a life. And so Paul is saying there's going to be a day of testing. You know, it's like the inspector comes in to see what did you do with the one and only life I gave you to build. Everyone's work will be put through the fire. In other words, it'll go under great scrutiny to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall wall of flames. So let me expound a little bit on that. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers and followers of Jesus. He's talking about those who have their destination already settled as Christ followers are going to go to heaven someday when they die. But he's trying to make the point while you're in the dot, while you're in this life, while you're in your body. Build the house well. Because there will be a day of scrutiny. There will be a day of examination. And he uses this uh, picture of it going through the fire. So if you built a life with wood and hay and it's tested by fire, guess what? (laughs) Nothing left to show for it. If you build with gold and silver and precious jewels and it goes through the fire, then it's only refined and it's only better. It's only stronger. It's only more pure. So I said, he's trying to say, this doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. This doesn't have anything to do with your destination. You'll still go to heaven. But you will go fairly empty handed. If you didn't build the life well. If, though, you build it well, you build it like Jesus shows you, the master builder, the chief cornerstone. If you build it the way that he has designed, there'll be reward after reward after reward. And once you go through the scrutinizing, the fire, if you will, 
There'll be much to show for that. There'll be many, many things to experience and to enjoy in heaven. We have been inviting you to use this tool for these last weeks, the Christian Life Profile. Because in it, it helps us to get more clear what is it that we believe. And to refine what's it, what is it we need to do. What are the behaviors and the practices that we want to make sure are in place. So that they produce the kind of virtues and character qualities that survive the, the test of fire. That bring the rewards and the accolades and the joy of Christ and the things that we get to enjoy forever and ever in eternity. So it's just a tool. The small group that you've been a part of and the discussions that you've been engaging and the assessment that you've allowed yourself to go. All of these are processes to help you build the best life you can, God being your helper, so that someday on the other side of the consummation, you are so ever glad you did. And you look back on a day like today, when we're talking about it, you go, I'm so glad that we talked about it, and that I got you know my head screwed on right about that, and then I engaged in the right things. The main thing became the main thing for me. Now, of course, there are others. You've not decided to follow Christ, which is your choice. And you're not building a life according to his blueprints, which is your choice. And it will likewise have outcomes that go forever on the other side of the consummation that you will not like. And a day like today will haunt you. And it gives me absolutely no joy to say that. But I'm compelled to, because you matter, to God and to me. What kinds of works survive the scrutiny of God, the fire of God? Well, first of all, it assumes that you are building a life in Christ. Okay? And if that's where we are, if you're building a life in Christ, the Scriptures say God's standard involves this. There's the test of relationship. In other words, John 15, 5, I'm absolutely building this life with Jesus. You know, it's possible some people do it. Build a life like Jesus without Jesus. They're very religious. They're very disciplined and very strict about how they conduct their behaviors. Maybe they even come to services uh, where people gather to worship and all that other kind of stuff. But they never engage their heart with Jesus. They never came alive unto Jesus. They don't have relationship with Jesus. They have religion, not relationship. And so one of the tests that the fire will bring is the test of relationship. Do you honestly, legitimately, really know him, have relationship with him, and are building life with him? Secondly, there's the test of motive. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. When you begin to engage in a number of the behaviors that that tool tells you about, 
kindness and generosity and sacrificial service and so on like that. Are you doing it so that everybody thinks you're a great guy? Wow, that guy's impressive. Or are you doing it because you're building this life with Jesus and that's how he's guiding your steps? Jesus said, if you're doing it for the former, if you're just doing it for reputation, if you're doing it for how people will look at you and think about you, then that's your reward. There's not reward on the other side of the consummation for you about that. But if you're doing it with the intent to be in harmony with me and to build a life with me, there are going to be a lot of rewards on the other side of the consummation for you. And then a third standard is the test of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, which says, basically, if, if I do all of these awesome, wonderful, good works, but don't have love, none of it counts. In other words, when he's building my life, he's going to be building it so that I become a thoroughly loving person and the the deeds and the the works and the behaviors that I do are thoroughly loving minus the love component none of it counts in terms of what Jesus wants to reward me or you with some some day so those are the factors that figure in to what life can look like on the other side now I'm almost through, but I'm going to take a pause here because I want to ask Jerry to help us do something. I want to invite you because what we're talking about is so important. You know, the last thing I'd like to happen is for us just dismiss, walk out the door and engage in talking about the Seahawks or whatever. I mean, this is so important. I'm going to ask you to just take like two minutes, two and a half minutes. And meditate on these things. You go, well, I don't even know what meditation is. I'm going to encourage you to just focus your thoughts. You can have your eyes open, you can have your eyes closed, doesn't matter. Focus your thoughts on Jesus. On heaven. On life with Jesus forever. And what Jerry will be saying to us is, I can only imagine what that's like. Let your imagination be stirred by the Spirit of God and begin to see and to think, to feel, to hear the things of heaven for just just a couple of moments, and then I'm going to wrap up. Thank you, Jerry. It's powerful to imagine. Amen. What a great day that can be and will be for many and not so great day for others. So I want to encourage you to take these steps. Where do you go from here? Well, one, if you've not done life with Jesus, would you choose to do life with Jesus? If you've been stirred about that and if it's beginning to make sense and puzzle pieces are beginning to come together, would you just trust and make that decision? Let me get to the end here. To do life with God through Jesus. And 
live like this life is short. It is. It's just a dot. And will you build that life that will pass God's scrutiny so that you can have a lot of rewards on the other side? And we store up treasure in heaven. Jesus said, don't store up treasures in this world where it can be corrupted, where moth and rust can destroy it. Store up treasures in heaven. By engaging in the things that God directs you to engage in here. Will you live that way? I want to pray for you again. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friend today that just has it a little more clear right now and is ready to cross that line of faith and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Would you seal that in his or her heart? Would you cause them to come alive to you? And for all of us, would you bring that sense of the, the brevity, the shortness that this life is? Would you order our steps in such a way that we live like we're passing through. That we would engage in what you're engaged in to build a life suitable for all eternity. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.